Welcome to the show. My guest today is Trevor Sikama. He's the co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast and also the senior NFL draft analyst analyst at the Draft Network. Uh, it's a website that provides a lot of NFL draft content, including mock drafts and much more. I love the NFL draft. I don't know if you guys do, um, but I found Trevor's podcast, and this guy really knows his stuff. So if you're a fan of the NFL draft, you're going to love this episode. And if you're not, then uh, hopefully you might become a fan after hearing this episode. Uh, We discussed Trevor's career climb from uh, covering the volleyball team at the University of Florida to now uh, working on his draft site. Um, We also discussed why we both love the draft so much. Um, We do the analysis of draft prospects and how much the mental aspect plays a role. And then, yeah, we we geek out a little bit about some of the upcoming uh, prospects in this draft. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. Yeah. Okay, we got you. Cool. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, yeah, welcome to my little show here. Thanks, appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm sorry for I had to push you back a couple hours. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I just uh, as long as we have time to to go through everything, I got a lot of questions for you. So. Okay. All right. All right. So my first question, most important question. Um, uh, are you able to get your hair cut during this pandemic? Because you got some real stylish hair. So how do you hold that up in the pandemic here? Uh, you know, all I'll say is that it's a good thing that social distancing is a real thing because I have not gotten my hair cut in like two months because of all this. So no. Really? Um, won't let anybody touch my hair. So uh, it's just been growing out. Maybe this, like, maybe this is my getting past the awkward stage in the long hair because I, uh, I haven't been able to get a haircut ever since this, the, uh, the lockdown got really serious. Wow. Okay. Well, how else, uh, how otherwise, how are you holding up during the whole pandemic? I mean, it seems, I assume you do a lot of your work from home anyways, right? Yeah. A lot of what we do is remote. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate that honestly, not a lot has changed for me. I'm, I'm, I'm normally kind of popping around either to, different coffee spots or little delis or things like that to kind of do my work to get a change of scenery. So I haven't been able to do that, but in terms of the work, we're chugging along and with the draft coming up in less than two weeks now, it's been, it's been full steam ahead for us. So not a whole lot has changed. And I'm, I'm very lucky that that's the case. Now, do, now, cause you do the NFL draft stuff. Do you ever go to the pro days? Cause a lot of the colleges will hold a pro day uh, where they'll uh, showcase the athletes at their school. Do you go to any of those ever or? Yeah, so I've done that in the past. Uh, I, I wasn't going to do any of them this year, so it didn't really affect my scheduling. But okay. back when I was living in Tampa, I would do you know USF, UF, Florida State, Miami, FIU, UCF. I'd do the. I, I'd run around the state and go to all those pro days. Nice. So I there's a rumor going around that um, baseball's maybe thinking of playing here. So in Arizona, I live in Arizona. So they were thinking about doing their season here in Arizona with the 10 uh, uh, spring training facilities. What did you think about that? Is that like, I mean, did you think there's any credence to that? It would just be hard to do. I, I, I know what they're doing because they obviously want to take this as seriously as they can, but it really doesn't matter where you are in the country. I, I think that we just need to be taking this as, as, as straight as we can here with, with the precautions and, and with people staying away and just making sure that we're doing what we need to do. 
I know people want sports back. Trust me. I mean, I do yeah. as much as anybody. Baseball is probably the sport that I watch the least, mm-hmm. and I would kill to watch a live baseball game. Right. right? Now. And yeah. So, you know, I, I I know that people people really want it back, but you know, the NBA's talked about that too. You, you going in cities where the virus isn't so prevalent and things like that, and I I just have a hard time thinking that the players are going to sign off on something like that and i'm not sure they're going to be able to pull it off i want sports back as much as anybody else but um, i'm not sure I, I i don't think that that's probably a realistic plan so i mean you're a bit of an insider you're in the media you're you're around the media people you talk to coaches and players um do you think are they preparing like there will be a season or are you thinking maybe there's not going to be a season or could it be delayed for football uh, in terms of NFL, with like college and NFL, yeah, college and NFL. I think as of right now, they are full steam ahead, thinking that this is going to happen. Okay, uh, but I I know that there are people that I have talked to that don't believe that it's going to happen. However, I have not heard any plans from either the NCAA or any of the conferences or the NFL themselves that being considered like they're talking about changing plans. I think that as of right now, they're still assessing what the situation is. If they have to go beyond what is, I think, the April 30th kind of lockdown target that they have, if they have to go much further than that, then they'll probably have to start discussing stuff. But as of right now, no. As of right now, I think that both leagues are fully planning to play. Okay. Well, I hope that does. Yeah, because I know, I think I heard that the NCAA had three plans. They had a regular on-time schedule, and then they had the contingency that where they start late, and then the third plan was that they wouldn't have a season, which I hope it doesn't get that bad. I right. mean, delayed would be bad enough, but at least we'd still have a season. But I, I feel like things are going to hopefully turn around in a few months. A few months is a long time, so... Yeah, I, I would certainly hope so. And it seems like people are taking this pretty seriously. Um, and that's a good thing. So yeah. that's, that's the big thing is that the, fear, the more serious we take it, the more under control we get it, the less people get sick. And that's the most important part. You know, it's, it's, an, it's such a secondary and even ancillary thing that, hey, we get sports back. I mean, that's, that'd be a great thing. But the most important part is obviously doing what's right for everybody around us that um, we might not even know. And I think that that's the most important part. I'm glad that we've seen society across the country take it as, as serious as, as it has been. And like I said, I think there are plans that exist, but nobody's moving towards those, those contingency plans yet. And right. so I think that's where we stand. Yeah, no, and I, I think uh, here the numbers are actually better than there's actually less deaths than they expected. So that's a good thing. So I hope it continues that way and we flatten the curve and all that. So. Anyways, um, let's talk about you. So let's go back with your history. You you went to a small school. You started at a small school called Southeastern University in Florida. Now, did you play sports there, or have you always did you play sports in high school, or how'd you get involved in sports? No, so, yeah. So I, I played sports all through high school. It's funny because I'm I'm from Florida, just south of Tampa, and I actually grew up playing hockey. And uh, not many oh, okay. not many kids grow up playing playing hockey in Florida, but that was my no. first love. And so I played hockey a lot when I was growing up. And then kind of when I got into middle school and high school, I went into different sports, ended up playing high school varsity soccer. That was kind of my main sport as I was going through high school. But, you know, to answer your question, no, I didn't, I didn't play sports for Southeastern. Okay. I played obviously every single inter- intramural sport that I could sure. get my hands on, but um, didn't play for the college. And it's funny because, 
I went to Southeastern because one, it wasn't too far away from home. I didn't want to go too far. And, you know, two, they had a good business program. And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to take over family business. My dad's got a landscaping business. And so I thought about that, uh, thought about kind of being the next one in line to be the big boss. And I ended up taking some business classes and I hated it. I was mm. so bored. And mm. I was like, man, this, this, just like, this isn't for me. And some, you know, it's, it's for a lot of people. But I just, I wasn't interested in it at all. And then I was kind of bounced around, thought about some different majors. And it wasn't until I took a, well, it wasn't even a sports radio class. It was just a radio class at Southeastern with one of my best friends. And we ended up turning it into a sports radio show because our teacher said, yeah, you can turn it into whatever you want, whatever you're mm. interested in. And I loved it so much that I said, you know what? Maybe I can make a career out of this thing. I love writing already. I love talking about sports. I love being on social media. And so that's when I had the idea to um, go after it, make it my major, try to make it a career. And from there, and that idea is is when I transferred from Southeastern to the University of Florida to go be a part of their broadcast program. Right. And so this is interesting. Um, You went to University of Florida, big school. Um, now, eventually, you got to write about the basketball team, but I thought this was interesting. You actually started out as a beat writer for the volleyball team, which I love this because yeah. people could look at your follower. You have 38,000 followers on Twitter, and they, I don't think they understand the climb that you had to take to get there. Like, you started out I, – I, I mean, you can say that you love the volleyball team, but I, I guarantee that wasn't your top choice was to write for the vo- – I didn't even know they did articles about the volleyball team, so talk about that. Yeah, it was um, – you know, I, I, I got there – uh, kind of the start of what would have been considered my junior year. So I knew I was only going to be there for two years, but I had already declared a major. So there's a, there's an ESPN branch that's on campus and it's a radio station there. It, it, it was ESPN 8:50 AM when I was there. God, I don't even, I don't even know if it's still that now. Um, here we are about six years later, but that's what I worked for when I was a student. And so I worked on that station and, Every single sport had to be covered. And, you know, football and basketball, they got, they went to the, the older kids, right? They, sure. the, the seniors got seniority for those. And so when it came around my turn, not only was I not a senior, but I was a new transfer. So I didn't even put in work uh, when I was a freshman or a sophomore. Right. So it was kind of like I was definitely picking at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I ended up picking volleyball because my high school, they had a pretty great volleyball team. We would go to the final four in the state tournament all the time. And so I was familiar with the game of volleyball. Oh, it was good. entertaining. I liked it. I thought I knew, I knew the baseline enough to cover it. And so I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll cover volleyball. I really didn't know anything about Florida's volleyball program. Mm-hmm. And then I find out that, you know, Mary Wise is the coach and, and they're an absolute powerhouse and they're incredible. And, and I, I got to say, man, it was so much fun to do. I was so scared. When I was covering my first couple of volleyball games, I didn't know how to cover it. I didn't know what to write. And so yeah. you eventually just kind of, the, the biggest lesson there for me was you learn by doing. I, I went into something, I, yeah. I said, hey, I know I want to do sports, but of course everybody wants to cover football. You don't right. get to do that right away. Yeah. Very few people get to do that kind of stuff. And so I love where I got to come from. I love that year that I covered the volleyball team. That was a lot of fun. And then I got to, uh, I got kicked up to, to be in basketball the year after that. And funny enough, that was the year the U.S. made it to the Final Four. So oh. I got to travel all around the country with them 
getting to, to follow their journey. And so I got very lucky. I, I would tell you that I got just as lucky getting to cover that volleyball season as I was that final four season, because I think both went a long way into what I was eventually um, going to do with football, but it taught me how to be a beat reporter. It taught me yeah. how to, to, to follow the details and to do interviews and handle yourself around a team and all that kind of stuff. So I loved it, man. I really did. That's very cool. So yeah, and then you bounced around. You had a couple radio jobs, some uh, assistant TV reporting, and then you actually you covered the Florida Gators again, but uh, with this time it was for football, right? For SB Nation, the website. That's a pretty big website. Yeah, yeah so what ended up happening there is I knew I wanted to get into football because football was the biggest audience. And I knew that that had the biggest feeling to it. And that was definitely a passion of mine. I never got to play football growing up because I was super small as a high schooler. And my mom knew that I would get absolutely killed. So she never let me play football. So I've never even played an organized football outside of flag, which I've played plenty of. Mm-hmm. But when I graduated, what I did was I've, I've always loved the NFL draft. And even going back to the Southeastern pre-Florida days, I was writing mock drafts. I was talking about draft prospects on Twitter. And and what ended up happening is that while I was at UF, I I created a website. I just, Mm. it was a, at that time it was a Weebly website and it was all about the NFL draft. Was that the Road to Radio City one? Yes, yes, it was called Road to Radio City. That's what it was called. And so, you know, I ended up changing how it looked and, and involved in the website, and that taught me how to build some websites as well, know a little bit of code on the back end. Um, and that's where I stored all my rankings when I did mock drafts, and then eventually got to the point where I had some people following the blog that mm. ended up writing blogs. So then I had a staff of a couple of writers that I was using, and this is all my free time, and this is just something wow. that I really enjoyed. And as that kind of took off, that's when I started reaching out as well. And when you talk right there about the Florida game, covering the Gators um, from a different perspective, I covered them from Alligator Army on SB Nation, uh, as well as doing stuff for SEC country. Um, I did uh, Inside the Gators as well. And so I kind of just picked up wherever I could. I did film breakdowns and X to the nose stuff and sometimes some feature stories. But honestly, you know, that's a big thing that a lot of people talk about is, is hey, especially in the journalism industry, never work for free, right? If you know your work is valuable, don't work for free. I Hmm. love that. I'm 100% here for it, and I always want people to fight for what they're worth because I do think the journalists get taken advantage of in this industry way too much. But I'm also, I wouldn't wouldn't be here if I didn't work for free. And that's another truth as well. You know, I had to put my name out there to a couple of different blogs and help out here and pick up an article there. And honestly, what did, what that did the most is it expanded my network. It got me a lot of practice writing, which mm-hmm. is something that I desperately needed at that time. But it also got me to meet a lot of people, a lot of new editors and other writers and friends that I still have in the business to this day. And so that's really where it picked up for me when I started doing some freelance stuff for football. And was that before social media? So before people could follow you on Twitter and stuff? No, I had a, boy, believe it or not, I think I first made a Twitter in 2010. So like I've been around with Twitter for a long time. And so that was also a key thing is that no matter where I was working, I was picking up little networks in my following and who I was following along the way. And I think that's, man, if I had a, if I had a, 
a piece of advice for anybody who is trying to do this, it's that your network will take you places. You definitely got to make sure that you are improving as a writer. Uh-huh. You're always challenging yourself and you're constantly reading people whose work that you really enjoy and are at a platform that you love. There's no doubt about it that, that when it comes to the work part, you've got to be up to standard there. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, who you know and who your network is, who's in your corner, who's going to fight for you, who might bring your name up in a job search, that's what will really take you to the next level of potentially being able to make it in this business. And that's, with social media, to your question, that was something that I was able to do throughout the process. Now, so is that how you got the job? Because then you ended up being a beat writer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a Pewter Report. Is that how you got that one? Be yeah. something you knew? or? Yeah, so that's, you know, exactly the story there. And funny enough, Pewter Report's been around for 25 years. They're, they're a staple to who is covering the Buccaneers. But I hate to admit this, but I didn't even know who they were. I lived <laughs> just south of Tampa, and I had followed the Buccaneers my entire life. Wow. You know, I'd read the Tampa Bay Times, the St. Pete Times, the Tampa Tribune. You know, I knew the ESPNs and everything. But yeah. I, I, I didn't know what Pewter Report was. And it's hmm. so funny because they've been such a staple uh, of covering the Buccaneers for so many years. And what happened was, this was another thing where I lived just south of Tampa. And I happened to know the editor of the Bucks Nation page on SB Nation for, boy, this would have been about six years ago. And I knew him just because I had written an article about Derek Brooks going into the Hall of Fame. I had nowhere to put I wasn't, I wasn't writing for a Bucks website at that time. I mean, I would have just been putting it on a really random blog. But I spent a long time on it. Hmm. It was a feature article that I had written. Yeah. And I had just... I all I did was I emailed the editor for Bucks Nation because I had talked to him once or twice before and I said, hey man, I wrote this article in my free time. I've got nowhere to put it. If you want to put it on Bucks Nation, feel free. Like, here you go. You can have it. And he's like, this is really great. Thank you so much for this. This is a lot of research. It's good stuff. And then from there, he reached out to me again a couple of months later when training camp was about to start. And he said, hey, we don't really have anybody covering training camp. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah. In fact, I can drive up every single day and I can give you live practice recaps. Like, I can do that. And he's like, holy crap, that would be amazing. So, again. And that's got to be fun, right? Because you get the media badge and then you so you're going, like right up there, right next to the players and stuff, right? And get to talk to them and interview oh, them. My God. Like, it was, I, I mean, it was great because this is an experience that I got to have at US, but... Yeah. I've never done it to this extent for a pro sport. Right. So I end up covering training camp um, just off of that. And after training camp, doing all the coverage there, he asked me to keep covering during the season. And this is just, again, this is all in my free time. This is I'm working a full-time job outside of this as well. I end up doing that. And then Scott Reynolds, my boss for Peter Report when I was there, ended up reaching out to me. I'd never heard of him before. I'd never heard of Peter Report. And he said, I want to hire you after and he's, he, he read my stuff on Bucks Nation. And he said, I want to hire you full time in Peter Ford. And wow. that ended up, man, I'm telling you, that was a dream job for me. I loved that job so much. I love what I'm doing now. I don't want yeah. anybody to think that, that I don't. I absolutely love what I'm going for and who I'm working with now at the Draft Network. That as well is yeah. so much of a dream job for me. But I obtained, or I was lucky enough to 
find myself in a position to cover my hometown team as a full-time reporter just because of work that I had done um, for, for, for free almost, you know, for freelance. Yeah. They, they actually were at, they ended up starting to pay me as a, as a very part-time employee after that. But the connection I got was just through networking and um, wow. I'm lucky, man. I'm so unbelievable. That's very lucky. cool. Yeah. And I, and I know that too. Uh, I never even applied for that job and it's something that I got. And yeah. all I can say is that, Hey, never stop meeting people. You never know who's going to read the next article that's going to hold your next job. Right. So, and then was it around this time that you um, started, you jumped on the NFL locked on podcast, NFL draft locked on podcast. Cause that's how I found you. That's how I became a fan. I was Googling like pot NFL uh, draft podcasts. And like, you guys were one of the few that came up and it was, and one of the few that I could list. Some of them were just terrible. And, so, and I found your guys and I was like, Oh, this is really good. And then um, I don't know what happened to your other co-host. Was it uh, John? Was that his name? Yeah, so John, funny enough with John, John actually asked me to, he was already working for the show, for okay. Locked on NFL Draft, and he he was co-host with another good friend of mine, Luke Easter, and I had I was already listening to their podcast because you know they were friends of mine in the industry, and I loved them, and I thought they were smart, and they were great, so I was already listening to the show, and then... Luke ended up having to no longer work for them. And then John reached out to me and asked me to be the co-host. And I, uh, yeah, I absolutely jumped at the opportunity. It was such a blast getting to do that with John. Um, John is now funny enough. John now has my job oh. with pewter report. Okay. That I had before. And that oh. is such, that is, I cannot tell you how cool that is for me that John's now in the NFL doing what he should be he's so, he's so great i mean like john covers and knows football so well and he wasn't able to do it full-time for the longest time and now he gets to do it for a team i'm so excited and it's just it's so funny how how full circle it comes with me now working for the draft network full-time no longer working for peter Report, and john jumping on that now getting to cover the bucks full-time Right, yeah. So you now you got this job. You're the senior uh, NFL draft analyst at a. At a it's a, Is it just mostly a website, the Draft Network, or do they do a YouTube stuff? Or man, we're doing. We've done a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Okay. The last two years. Yeah, it I mean, sounds like mainly, a really fun it's job. Mainly, it's so great, and and the people that I work with it make it even better. And I'll tell you that too. You know, it, people talk about sports being a dream job and, and it definitely is. I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to do this, but who you work with, you know, the people that you get to work with really make a job, a dream job. And I'm very lucky to be doing this with, with some great people. And it's based, it's based off of being a website, but we do all kinds of stuff on social media, on Twitch, when we're streaming on YouTube with video content, we're all over Instagram as well. And so, we're everything at this point. We're a full blown brand. I couldn't be prouder of the people that we're working with. And um, yeah, man, I'm just it, it is just the beginning of some of the stuff that we have planned for the future. So yeah, it's been a blast. That's very cool. So it seems like there's more of a uh, an interest in the NFL draft. Like if you go back in the history of the draft, I mean, I don't think it was even te- televised, and now it's this huge event. Uh, we actually went last year in Nashville. It was a blast. It was so fun. Oh, nice. Yeah, we were going to go this year in Vegas. We had a hotel booked. Of course, you know it's all canceled now, but. Um, I mean, that's why what I love about the NFL draft, it's, it's kind of the drama, you know, it's not like these dumb reality shows, 
but it's real drama because it's exciting to see where all these players land. Like history is being made. You know, every team passed on Tom Brady multiple times. Um, he could have easily ended up on another team. Um, but it's very possible a lot of these players could end up on other teams. And also, I'm a fan of my team, you know, like the Seahawks. It's like getting a Christmas present, a bunch of young new players. So that's kind of why I love it. But you tell me, why do you love the draft so much? Like, what is it about the NFL draft for you? I mean, it's, the draft is so great because it's a great marriage between college and pro football. They're, mm-hmm. they're totally different kinds of energy. And when you're a fan of what's going on in the college sphere, it's a different feeling than when you're a fan of what's going on in the NFL sphere. It's weird. And I don't even just mean like being a fan of a team or like calling yourself a fan. I, I love college football. Genuinely. Oh, yeah, Everything about it. You know, the school, the school atmosphere, the the tailgate, the the fact that if you lose one game, the season's over, and every week means so much, and these big historic rivalries between schools. I mean, that's incredible. And then, of course, the pro level, it's different. You know, you're competing mm-hmm. for a championship. There's divisional rivalries. There's there's hometown feel to it. There's obviously watching the game at the very highest level that it could be played. And the NFL draft is such a marriage between both of those. It allows you to be a full-on fan of both of what's going on in college and the NFL. Enjoy both spectrums and spheres as much as you can. And it all culminates to this. And that's probably what I would say I love the most about it. And two, it's the stories of these guys. You know, it's about going from being a, a student athlete, if you will, to a professional. It, it's about these journeys that these kids take as early high school recruits going through those rankings then all the early mornings of waking up, making it through a D1 college football program, transforming your body through all the, the, the hours in the weight room and, and the film room and becoming a better man and a, and a football player. And then all this comes to a head on draft night. Oh, Walking wow. Across the stage, shaking, shaking the commissioner's <laughs> hand, giving him a hug. And those emotions and things yeah. like that, man, that's, that's what I love the most. That's why I fell I in love, love it. with the draft. That's that's why I called my very first website Road to Radio City because it is. It's yeah. a journey that these prospects go on and it's a road that they follow getting to what is their dream of becoming professional football players. And um, yeah, it, 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 honestly, that's what I love the most about it. That's very cool. So now that, I mean, this is your full-time job now is doing the, uh, the that uh, website that, you ha- that you're on now, the uh, NFL or the draft network, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So when you look at a prospect, I mean, now that you're doing this full-time, when you look at a prospect, like how much tape do you watch? Do you just watch their highlights? Are you watching a full game? I mean, you can't possibly watch every game of every prospect, right? No, well, no, you can't do that. There's just not. I mean, there's not enough hours in a year, honestly. And I, I kind of wish that there was. But you know, it, it all depends how much tape is available. You know, if we can get ourselves some college football coaches tape, you'll watch that as much as you possibly can. But if not, you kind of stick with the broadcast angle. The people who upload these things to YouTube, man, they are saints. They make mm-hmm. this job easier for us, and they also make it possible for a lot of people to be fans of the. Of, of the NFL draft. So I definitely want to give those people a shout out because their work often goes unnoticed but to those people who are doing the cut ups of the players and of mm-hmm. the game. Y'all are awesome. Y'all That's allow fair, yeah. us to have a lot of fun and to enjoy this thing. But, you know, generally you'd love to watch about three to four games minimum of a player. And then, okay. you know, if you can get six, if you can get six or seven, you'd like that because you never know what somebody's going through, whether it is a time of where they are in the playbook, what might be going on outside of their life, 
if they're going through injury, whether they're really starting to click in terms of chemistry with the rest of the players around him. Yeah. You just never know. And so right. You always want to give a guy a chance to show what he can do best. And so I would say a minimum of three games uh, when you're really trying to evaluate a prospect. And then you're really shooting for, you're probably shooting for anywhere from between four to six games when it comes to an evaluation. Okay, that's cool. No, that's really cool. So every year the press, you know, they rate their prospects and they're they're often pretty accurate, especially towards the top. But then it gets kind of murky the further down you go towards the later round pra- uh, prospects. Like what kinds of inside information do you think teams have that's not public and, and how will the pandemic affect that this year? Because in in-person interviews and even medical things are not able to happen. So this could be the most accurate mock draft we ever see because I don't think teams are going to have much more information than the, the, the press and the public have, right? Yeah, it's going to go one or two ways, right? It's either going to be very vanilla and it's going to be predictable because mm-hmm. teams aren't going to move or go off script or it's yeah. going to be absolute chaos. It's going to be one. It's, I think it's going to be one of the two. So, that's kind of where it is. And it's an interesting time because those top 30 visits mean a lot to these teams. And you can do these Zoom interviews and FaceTime with these prospects, but it's not the same as having them in your building. It's really not. And it's right. especially not the same when you can't get your team doctors to check these guys out. And I think that that means a lot too. And so there's a lot of inside information. Now, the background, that's, I think, very important as well these teams have a lot of sources. They've got a lot of people they talk to, especially when it comes to these top guys about what makes them tick, how they are above the shoulders, how they process things, what they're like off the field. And I always say this about my evaluation. You are drafting a person right. as much as a play. Who they are between the ears and, <sighs> and inside the chest and the heart, if you will, means just as much to achieving their ceiling as their athletic ability is because it's got to be about being, you know, handling your business as a pro and, and as a young man, if you make it to the middle league, it's about work ethic. It's about picking things up. It's about how well you diagnose and you understand and how disciplined you are and how serious you take football. Yeah. So all of that goes into it. And I think that that all goes into having that background of information that I still think teams are going to have the background information, yeah. but then the getting to know the guys is, is something that they're going to miss out on. Right. So I don't know if, I mean, you must be a Tom Brady fan now because he's a Buccaneer. So I'm not sure if you heard the, his interview on Howard Stern. Did you listen to that yet? I did not get to listen to it, but I was following it intently on Twitter while it was going on. Okay. Yeah, Cause you can actually hear Sirius is free until May 15th. So you can listen to it's a two hour interview. It's long, but it's really good because you really get to understand the psychology, like why he's so competitive, why he's a winner. Um, there's a famous story. You probably know this about Jamarcus Russell, who ended up being a total bust. He was a number one overall pick, but he was, I think he was kind of lazy. The coaches didn't think he was watching film. So they gave him some blank videotapes. And then he came back and he said, he watched the blitz packages on the tapes. So obviously work ethic and drive are important in these things, right? So how much do you think that goes into analyzing the draft prospects? Like, and how do you analyze that? Because um, I mean, they can often say the right things in the interview, But then, you know, like behind the scenes, I mean, that goes back to maybe that's something where they're talking to coaches and stuff, or how do you, how do you measure those things? Yeah, it it varies from team to team. And that's why I think losing these top 30 visits is is so important because, you know, when you get to shake a man's hand and stare him in the eye and and hear him answer questions right in front of you, that's different than even when you're asking him questions over the internet or hearing him speak at a podium or something like that. And so... It varies from team to team, and that's why the draft is so crazy every year and why one player could be ranked 
21st on one team's board and ranked 85th on another team. Mm-hmm. It just has to do with that human element. And um, that teams are still trying their best to make sure that they're able to do that. But they're finding out that it's becoming difficult this year. Do you have inside information? Because you said, you, you know, it's who you know. You've got 38,000 followers on Twitter. You've got all these connections. Are you getting inside information from um, inside teams or inside press people that know that have kind of an inside track that have given you stuff where you go, oh, okay, you know, I'm not showing that up in the, I, I'm not, that's not showing up on Google, but now this is good stuff to know. Yeah, there's, there's always, and it goes back to that networking thing, right? Yeah. I mean, even, even some, some kids that, uh, man, I'm saying kids, I mean, we're almost in our thirties now, but people <laughs> I went to college with, um, who were in my journalism program are now covering these other teams full time. So now the networks that they have are now part of my network if I ask them. So it's even something as simple as that. But yeah, we have some, we definitely have our sources that are inside certain team buildings. Uh, we, we definitely get some inside information there. What team do you think is poised to make the biggest jump from the draft? I mean, do you think it's the Bengals because they're probably going to get Joe Burrow? Or is there another tra- team that has multiple draft picks that's, you know, that can maybe drastically improve with a good draft? I honestly think that it's Miami because of all of the picks. That's true. They have a lot of picks. First round picks. They got yeah, they got two second round picks. They're going to pick up so many talented players in this draft class, and so I've got to think that it's Miami because it's going to start at the top. It's probably going to start with a quarterback, and that's going to you know be the boost that they need to turn their franchise around. Wow. Let's uh, we got to nerd out a little bit here. We got to talk about the prospects here. So QBs. Uh, Joe Burrow, you actually, I was listening to one of your podcasts and and you said, or somebody said that you had him on your board as a number one quarterback back in October. Like you were one of the first people to do that. Um, and you're still yep. thinking he's the real deal. I mean, the games I've seen this year, he was insanely good. Like he's the real deal, right? <laughs> Even with the small hands yeah, or whatever. No, he's, yeah. So the difference with Joe Burrow is, and it goes back to that between the ears, above the shoulders, whatever you want to call it. Joe Burrow even said this at his combine. He's not the biggest dude. He doesn't have the biggest hands. He doesn't have the strongest arm. But the thing that he does is that he prepares and he understands the game better than anybody else. He challenges himself and he has that work ethic. And when you watch LSU this year, you'll often see that he was rarely rattled, ever, whether he was in the pocket or out, because he'd seen it all. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what happened if it broke down. There was no panic in this man because he prepared so well and because he was that accurate with the football and I really do think that even though there are other quarterbacks who are more physically gifted than him nobody beats him above the shoulders nobody beats his mental processing for the game and that's why he's absolutely going number one overall for sure do you think he'll actually make the Bengals good I mean that's a hard thing to do I mean Carson Palmer had a lot of talent too but he couldn't take him I don't think they even won one playoff game with him right that's, that's that they answer that question is a lot more than just a quarterback. And I tell people this all the time. When you draft a quarterback number one overall, your job is not done there. It right. is then your responsibility as a GM and as a head coach to build the team around them over the next couple of years to make that number one overall pick worth it. And so there's just a lot more questions that have to be answered there, although Joe Burrow is of course the centerpiece that you gotta start with. Yeah. So then your top five, you've got, tell me if this is right. I think I've got, you have a Burrow one, Tua two, Justin Herbert from Oregon, number three, Jordan Love four, and then uh, Jacob Eason and Jalen Hurts, kind of that, that fifth or I guess maybe tied for fifth or tie, top five or six. I would probably, 
number it now. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow one, Tua is two, Justin Herbert is three, Jalen Hurts is four, mm. and then I really have not, I have not figured out who my QB five is yet. Okay. So that's my top four though. What about? I noticed Anthony Gordon was not on the list. I'm a big uh, Wazoo fan. I, I remember last year, yeah. you guys kind of dissed Gardner Minshew, said, "Oh no, he doesn't have what it takes." But he had a pretty good rookie year, if I did, right? I mean, no, he, he he did, he did. I I like Anthony Gordon, and the thing that I like the most about Anthony Gordon is that he just it, it touches throwing the ball is in his nature. They right. throw it so many times a game at, at Washington State that you know, unlike. Take Shea Patterson, for example, from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Shea Patterson, the, the, the game for him was built so much around play action and the run game that even when he would drop back to throw, he looked uncomfortable throwing the ball. Mm. Anthony Gordon knew he was throwing the ball every time he liked it. And right. so like it, it, throwing, throwing passes, taking chances down the field, and especially throwing to the end zone, it's just second nature to him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think about it. He, he had a really good senior bowl, think, right? Do you think? I mean, he he had a good senior bowl week, yeah. And so yeah. I think that that characteristic of a quarterback is really important. I've seen him drafted all over from like third and fourth to like undrafted, which is really mind-boggling to me that it could he's be not, that big of a He's not going range. undrafted. He, okay. I think he's going somewhere between the third and the, and the fourth round. Okay. Um, and what about, let's talk running back. This is so, I love talking draft. This is amazing. <laughs> it's like listening to your podcast. Now I've got you on my podcast. It's really fun to get your uh, feedback here. But um, I think Jonathan Taylor is amazing. I think he's explore. I think he's the best running back, but a lot of boards, I, I see him second to Deandre Swift. Do you like Swift better or Taylor? And what other running backs do you like? Cause there's a lot of good running backs in this draft. I think. Yeah, I'm a Taylor guy. I think, I think the way that my rankings are going to read out are Taylor's going to be RB one. Um, J.K. Dobbins is going to be two. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be three. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeAndre Swift is going to be four, and Cam Akers is going to be five. Oh, Swift is all the way down to four, huh? Yeah, but you got to realize that all four of those guys are going to be potential starting caliber running backs in the NFL. You For know, sure, people are going to yeah. look at it, and it's just like what you said right there. You can go, oh, wow, Swift is four. Yeah, Swift is four, but I would still rank him as a starting running back in the NFL, so it doesn't exactly matter, right. and, and to be honest, it just depends what team is on the clock, that mm-hmm. order of running backs. It'll differ for every single team. Do you think Taylor will be there when my Seahawks pick at 27? Do I think Taylor will be there? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that want us to. I, I'm one of the people that think that we should draft. I know we have Chris Carson, but he's only got one year left. And I think I think Taylor's like a can't-miss prospect. Like, I think you're going to regret if you don't take him. I think Taylor's really good, and I do think that he. Uh, I think they'll be there. You don't think, think Miami would take him right before us? They might, but I. They, it's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, your mocks haven't gotten that far. But I think where you guys are only on the Cowboys, right? You guys do one mock uh, draft per episode, and you've got an expert from each team. It's really cool what you guys are doing on that uh, locked on podcast. Yeah, I love appreciate it. it, man. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. What about the uh, Memphis kid? Now, is he a running back or a wide receiver? Who is this? Oh, no, I'm blanking on his name. The Memphis, I want to say it's like, it's not Gordon. Oh, Antonio Gibson? Gibson, not Gordon yet. Gibson, yeah. What do you, do you think? He seems like he's pretty explosive, but I've, I've seen him like, you know, maybe third or fourth round on a lot of boards, but I think he could go higher. He seems like a Tyreek Hill kind of kid, right? Am I off on that? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, I'm not going to compare anybody to Tyree Hill because he's rare, but he's definitely <laughs> got those gadget traits to him. He can play slot receiver. 
and he can be a really useful running back out of the backfield. I think that he'll definitely find those roles in the NFL. Yeah, it'll be interesting. What and what other wide receivers do you like? I know your co-host is a big CD Lamb fan. Uh, Henry Ruggs is amaz- amazingly fast. There's a Texas kid, uh, Devin du- Duver Duvernay. Duvernay. Yeah, he's, Duvernay, he's yep. pretty pretty good too. I mean, there's a lot of good wide receivers. Which ones are your favorites? I like Jerry Judy in the first round. I'd say KJ Hamler in the second round. Brian Edwards in the third round. Uh, let's go Quintez Cephas in the fourth round. And then yeah, those are probably, you know, if I'm taking like my guys in yeah. each of those rounds, those would, those would be the players. Wow. And what about, uh, safeties? Did you see that Grant, uh, Delpit, uh, he ran like a, it was like a 4.38 40 time at a, at his like a cyber pro uh, day. Yeah. Do you count those? I like, don't, I don't. I don't believe any of those. Man. You don't I believe it. And I don't, I don't, I don't blame them for trying because they got to do something with no pro days. But here's the thing about Delpit. Like Delpit's already athletic. We, we didn't yeah. need it. Whether it's a four three eight or a four four two. I mean, that doesn't matter. Delpit can run. Delpit's a hell of an athlete. He just didn't want to tackle last year. And that's, that's, Grant Delpit was my number one player in the class going into the 2020 or the 2019 season. He was number one. I had him number one on my big board before the season started. Okay. And he just didn't want to tackle me. I understand <sighs> that people are going to say that he was hurt, and I'll give him a little bit of, of a leeway for that, but that tackling was bad beyond just being hurt, and that sucks. Because I think that he's a hell of a player, so I hope that he, uh, I hope he's a lot better in the NFL because I know he can't be. So you think he could bounce back? Because so, he did want to tackle I the do. year before, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, his 2018 hmm. tape I thought was awesome. Weird, interesting. What other safeties do you like? I mean, Anton Anton Winfield. Do you think he's he's pretty good, right? Kyle Duggar. Oh, I love Antoine Winfield. Yeah, I, I love Antoine Winfield. Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar. I think are just these X factor guys that are going to be able to play box safety. They're going to be able to play some linebacker. They're going to be able to give you some coverage stuff. Ashton Davis is another one who I think has got a lot of single high ability. But then the one I think everybody's sleeping on is is, is Terrell Burgess from Utah. I think that mm. he's very smart. He recognizes things really well. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but I think you got to be smart to play safety. And right. I think that Terrell Burgess is really smart. Definitely. What about cornerbacks? Um, are you are you high on C.J. Henderson? He went to your, to Florida. You got to be high on that guy just for that reason, right? <laughs> his he's, tape he's, was he's sick. Got a high feeling to him. Yeah. What? I think his tape was sick. I don't know if you watched his tape. Like he's crazy. He, it seems really, really good from the tape that I've seen. I mean, I just watched the highlights. Yeah, but- I've watched. I've, I've watched every single. I've watched every single CJ game because I watch every single Florida game. Sure, he's got yeah. a lot of potential. I mean, he's a he's a strong, fast, long corner, and so I, I think any time you have that combination, you could thrive in the NFL. What other uh, corners do you like? It seems like the cornerback position has changed. Like a lot more teams are doing the Seahawk thing, where they get the kind of bigger cornerbacks with long arms. Who who fits that mold this year? I think Jalen Johnson. If I had to say one, he's just a guy who 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 loves to play man coverage, and teams are always going to be searching for man coverage kind of corners. Um, so I think he plays that style. And then Amik Robertson is the other one from Louisiana Tech. He's a smaller guy. He's about five eight, mm-hmm. uh, probably buck eighty five, but he's just got a knack for the ball. He's got such great ball skills. Oh, awesome. What about? Um, let's talk defensive linemen. So like uh, Bradley Anai, I think I saw him in the Senior Bowl. He looked really good, but some people are saying like, "Oh no, he's not like an every down player. He's more just like a pass rush specialist." What do you? What do you? Do you think he just got lucky on the yeah, Senior Bowl because he looked pretty of, dominant? I feel of that mold. 
No, I, I wouldn't say dominant. And that's the thing is that I think he's going to be a good rotational lineman for a team, but I just didn't think that he was that dominant. He's not overly strong. He doesn't have great bend and he doesn't have, I mean, he just got a good burst in the punch when he can get off the line, but he just wasn't super dominant. So I think he's a rotational player. What about, uh, is it Zuniga? That's, you got to know about yeah. him, right? Jabari Zuniga. Yeah. Yeah. He's man. He is a, explosive for a man his size. I mean, this dude can move. His athletic profile adjusted to his weight is really high. You just got to get him to, to judge the snap count a little bit better. There were so many times where he was the last guy coming out of the stance, but he, man, he, he's got some untapped ability. He is really he going to, is he a riser? Like, is he going to go round one now? Cause they're saying maybe round two or no. three. No, no, I don't think he's going around one. In okay. fact, I wouldn't even say he's going to go round two. I think he'll probably go early round three. Who are your favorite? I mean, obviously Chase Young's got to be the number one pass rusher. Who, who else do you like? You like the uh, Iowa kid? And no, I'm not big on Ebenezer. Just <laughs> that combine really scared me. Um, I love Zach Vaughn. I think Zach Vaughn's an edge rusher. Put him on the edge. Let him attack the pocket. He's so good at it. He's very savvy. Josh Uche's another one. Smaller dude. I think his speed to power is really great. I like Jonathan Grenard from Florida as well. I think he's got some really nice all-around game. He's not liable in the run, and he's really got a knack for making plays in the backfield. And then uh, Darrell Taylor from Tennessee. I'll mention him as well. I, I think that he's a guy who I think is getting slept on by a lot of people. He's got a lot of athletic ability, and he's just got to learn some counter-rush moves, and if he does that, he'll be fine. Okay, and what about defensive tackles? Who should we look for on draft day that's going to be – Defensive tackles going well. There. There's kind of the obvious guys, right? The Derek Browns and the Javon Kimlaws. They're right. they're really good. And you look in the top of the second round: Neville Gallimore, Ross Blacklock, Justin Matabuke. They're awesome. But my guy's Marlon Davidson. I just think he's a very versatile piece. He can play three tech for you on the inside. He can play five tech as a potential edge player. I think he's strong against the run, and I think he's a hard worker against the pass. He's not going to be super bendy or fast around the edge because he's like 305 pounds. But he's a worker, loves the game of football, and he'll be a great rotational dude. What about the Alabama kid, uh, Davis? Raekwon Davis? Yeah, Raekwon Davis. He's good Davis. against the run. I think he's a, I think he's a great anchor. Obviously, six foot seven, three 310 pounds. It's hard to find guys that big, but he just doesn't offer a lot in the pass rush. And so I think because of that, he's probably going to be a second or third round for a team that's really just looking to pick up an anchor guy. Mm. And, uh, okay, so what about linebackers? Let's talk linebackers. You, what do you think of Willie Gay? He seems like that's another one where I've seen him go as high as, like, second round in mocks, and I've seen him go, like, sixth round. Like, is, where do you think he'll go? Because he had a pretty good 40 time. No, the, the class is not strong, so I think that with his combine and how well he was there, somebody's going to take a chance on him. I think he's going to be, oh, man, he can go anywhere from round two to round four, but I don't think he gets past round four. He's just too athletic, and this yeah. class is looking for athletic linebackers. What other linebackers do you like? Akeem Davis Gaither, I think, shows a lot of promise. He's another athletic guy that I think could really develop into a nice linebacker prospect. I love Marcus Bailey. Just the injury history sucks for him. Storm both of his, his ACLs, or um, I believe that's what he's torn. He's had two season ending knee surgeries, but man, he's very smooth in coverage. Hmm. Uh, has a good instinct, knows how to read reads, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. So I, I like him a lot. I just hope that he's healthy. Yeah, and then obviously like Kenneth Murray and those guys that are little, they'll be a little bit higher, right? Yeah, both. Yes. I think both of those guys are top fifty. Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen. Okay, and I'm glad we do have time, so I do want to talk about offensive line. <laughs> I saved that one for last because that's probably like that's hard to watch tape on offensive linemen, but it's such a valuable position in the NFL. So who are the 
the guys like how do you think this will shape up because people are saying like isaiah wilson and um the prince kid from auburn oh those are like second and third round guys but i feel like every every time the offensive linemen go way sooner than people expect them to go right Yes, yeah, because the priority position. You know, you got mm-hmm. the big four guys, Jandrick Willis, Tristan Wirth, Matai Beckton, and Andrew Thomas. Those are locks for the top 15. I don't think any of them are getting out of there. Then you're probably going to have Josh, Josh Jones, uh, as well as Isaiah Wilson, go in the first round. So that's six right off the bat there. And then up at the top of the second round, Prince Teguinogo from Auburn, Austin Jackson from USC, and then potentially Lucas Niang from TCU, who I think he's got awesome tape. He's just got a hip issue that he's been dealing with the last two years. I just named you, what was that, seven, eight? Yeah. The offensive tackle was easy that I could see going in the first two the rounds. First of the first round. So that's just what wow. happened. So who's your sleeper pick then? Did you like the, uh, what is that kid's name, Ben Barch or something like that? Is that his name? I do like Ben Barch. Yeah, no, man. He's got some good tape, even though he's playing at a lower competition. I think he's good. He's a nice sleeper. Sidney Charles from LSU, he's got some He's got some work he needs to, he needs to do with cleaning up his stuff. But, man, he's, he is athletic. The dude can move. Uh, he can play really well. Ezra Cleveland and Matt Hurd are the other two players that I think people are really big on. So it's a, it's definitely a name to know offensive tackle class. For sure, for sure. Now, do you think, just overall, what prospects do you think of any position are overrated or potential busts? Like, who's the Johnny Manziel or Ryan Leaf or Brian Bosworth, like the overly cocky guy that's not really that good this year? Oh, wow. Um, I'll say... I don't, I don't want to be. I don't know about like overly cocky. I don't want to. I don't want to go after anybody. Or maybe like overly hyped. Yeah. I, I honestly think that Jordan loves overhyped. Mm. I do. Um, I think that people are giving him too much of a benefit of the doubt. I think that he's just a lot more of it. You know, he could pan out. The arm is there, and the arm is great, and it's awesome. But I think people are giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt, and I think that he is more of a roll of the dice than people are willing to admit. Yeah, he's a quarterback. What was it? Utah State? Is that where he goes? Yep. Yeah, yep. Utah. So sm- a little bit smaller school, but I mean, you know, D one still. But yeah, they're giving him a lot of credit for all the athletic stuff, but not as much the numbers, right? Right. Yeah. Right. That's a dangerous game to play. I mean, it could pan out, but yeah, you just never. It's, it's more of a gamble, I guess, with those kinds of things. Now, what do you think? Uh, my, I'm a Seahawks fan. What do you think the Seahawks will do with their? They have a first rounder plus two second. Do you have any idea what what do you think they should who they should take? Yeah, I think that they're they're probably looking at edge rusher in the first round. You know, a guy like Eater Gross Matos who might be on the board. Shoot, they'd love Caleb on chase on, but that's not gonna happen. But then, you know, those two picks at the end that could go guys like Julian O'Quara or Josh Uche if they're there at the end of the second round. I think potentially wide receiver as well. And then if they could pick up some extra offensive line help, that would be great. Yeah, they definitely need the offensive lineup. They've needed it for years and it seems like they I, do, do you have any theory behind that? I mean, obviously you don't work for the Seahawks or anything, but why do they not take offensive? Is it just because they feel like they're reaching if they take an offensive lineman by the time they pick? I don't know, man. I really don't know because that's the it's priority position, man. You got to figure out the trenches and it just doesn't seem like they've, uh, yeah, I, I understand that every draft is different. Situations are different, but yeah. man, it's, just, it's so weird that they've, uh, they've had the trends that they've had. Yeah, and then they, they had a Fetty for those years, and he just, he was so terrible. I mean, he, you talk to any Seahawks fan, we all know his name because he gets so many false start penalties, and he, you know, just blows it on so many plays where they allow sacks. And finally, they let him go, and they hired, they got some other guys, some free agents that I'd never heard of. But so it'll be interesting to see what they do if they take anyone for offensive linemen. 
Well, um, thank you so much for uh, coming on my show. Now, I'd like to end with a, a charity. Did you have something? Do you, is there a charity that you work with or that you're passionate about or a cause? So, so I don't have one that I'm that I that I work with currently. What I and I remember you you asking me this before I came on, and honestly, what I would just like to say to to everybody who's out there is that there are a lot of, of, of businesses that are suffering because of the coronavirus situation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of local places around you that are losing employees and that are sometimes going out of business. And these are really, really good people. And I know that's a fact all across the country. And so what yeah. I would just, instead of naming a singular charity, what I would just encourage all of your listeners to go do is whether it's, your favorite restaurant or some place that you frequently go, or even, you know, maybe a, a place where you get your haircut, like you were talking about at the beginning, whatever it is, there's, there's places around your community that impacts the people around you uh, that are normally doing great work that don't have the opportunity to do that. And those are the people who this sucks for uh, the most when it comes to the lockdown uh, outside yeah. of obviously the people who Horse are affected said, by yeah. the disease yeah. directly. But, that's that, that's the stuff that we can try to prevent even more with this is is you know whether it's buying a gift card or or doing some takeout once a week at this place or um just right you know finding out who who owns the business and maybe send them a little bit of what you can afford to send them that you might already send them if you're a frequent customer of theirs just try and think of some places in your local community that might mm. be suffering some good people who normally are doing good things around where you are and try to help them out during that tough time. I love it. That's great. That's a great thing. Uh, I mean, you've had a great career so far. Uh, you've got, like I said, over 38,000 followers on Twitter. or uh, Yeah, tw- tw- Twitter, right? And uh, you're doing something right. Now, are we going to see you, you think, someday on ESPN or NFL Network? Is that something that's a goal of yours, or you do you want to continue to build your own brand? I don't know what the future holds, man, but <laughs> I can tell you I'm having a blast doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, it was it was great to, to get to do this little interview with you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming Everybody out there, on. go visit thedraftnetwork.com. If you're a draft fan, a college football fan, an NFL fan, whatever it is, we got what you're looking for, I promise you. Yeah, and um, check out some, yeah, some you're, awesome stuff, and it's only the beginning. Yeah, and check out your podcast, too, if you really want to nerd out about the draft like I do every year. and. And it'll just be exciting to see what happens when the draft actually comes, where all these players go, and we'll have to, um, yeah, I'll have to follow up with you after that and just see what your thoughts were. I'll listen to your podcast at least. Yeah, appreciate you listening and shouting us out, man. We okay. really do. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Trevor. Hey, thanks, man. Anytime. All right, take care. Bye, bye. All right, that was a lot of fun, a lot of information and prospects to study before the draft this year. This will be a fun one to look back on in a couple of years and see if the names that we talked about will have done anything. Um, but one name I know that will do amazing things is Trevor Sycamore, my guest. I want to thank him again for coming on. Um, I could easily see that guy working on ESPN or NFL Network very soon. Um, and I want to thank all of you for listening and making it all the way through this podcast. It might not have been an easy one if you're not into sports. Uh, but if you did enjoy it, uh, please share it with a friend. You can subscribe by hitting that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Uh, Make sure to follow me and Trevor on social media. Uh, The Instagram links should be in the notes below, depending on which uh, format you're listening to this podcast on. Uh, We're both on Twitter as well. I also have a Facebook page for my podcast. Until next time, have a great day or night.